Okay, good morning. My name's Chad. I get to lead Care and Connect Ministries here, and it is my privilege to open God's Word with you today. If you're anything like me, um, sometimes you get home from a long day of work, and you kind of just want to veg out. You want to relax. But if you're anything like me and you have four young kids, that's absolutely impossible. There are errands to run. There are mouths to feed. Thankfully, I'm married to a woman who is administratively, organizationally gifted. And so we have this conversation at the end of the day where we're running through the list of the myriad of things we have to accomplish. Occasionally, I get distracted. I think back to certain things that happened at work. And she tells me I get this kind of glazed over look in my eye. And Julie has to call me back to the present. And so usually what she says is, hey, are are you listening to me? And of course, I defend myself. Yes, 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 I was listening to you, and I wasn't. But there are so many important things that we have to run through. The the car really needs gas. We really need to take the kids uh, to basketball practice. In a similar way, God desires to speak with us. He longs for us to be listening to him. Yet many of us are distracted, just like I'm distracted with my wife. We get distracted when God is inviting us to listen to his voice. Actually, one of the ways that this happens to me is I walk by a Bible on the shelf that I haven't picked up in a while, and I know that's the principal way that God wants to communicate to me. And it's almost as if there's a whisper in my heart of, hey, it's been a little while since we've met. Are you listening, Chad? If you're following along in your notes, God is asking us this morning... Are you listening to me? I have amazing things to tell you. I am ready when you are. Some of us, unfortunately, hear God's invitation as harsh and condemning. We don't hear the gentleness and the tone that I just uh, invited you with. We hear a harsh tone. And actually, Psalm 19 is going to give a corrective to that as we step into it today. Others of us, you know what? Honestly, we tried picking up a Bible, the principal way that we hear from God in his voice, And we got to the laws, the genealogies, the list, the ancient cultural context, and it was like taking a sleeping pill. And you know what? For now, we've set it aside. We listen to a podcast. Maybe we come to church and we open the Bible to listen to a sermon, but we've given up on listening to God's voice and his word. Others of us, you know what? We live in close proximity to someone who might be, we could say, a a kind of a hypocrite. Maybe they've got a Bible reading plan. They're really on board with reading through the Bible in a year, and they say they hear from God. But year in and year out, even when they complete the Bible, they're not one iota more like Jesus Christ at the end of the year. Obviously, that puts a damper on our willingness to be excited to listen and hear from God. Today, I'm going to ask us to turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The passage is going to correct... So many of the negative vibes that we feel in relationship to God's voice, particularly when he speaks to us in his word. My prayer is that we would hear God's invitation today. As we pass away from 2023 into 2024, I believe that God in this psalm has four incentives, four incentives for us to listen to God's voice. If you don't have a Bible, please take one of the uh, black Bibles in the seat back in front of you. And this is our gift to you. We don't, we don't want anyone to be without a copy of God's word. Please take that home. You can find Psalm 19 on page 439. God's going to re-invite us today to listen to him. Just like my wife, he's going to ask us, hey, are you listening? 
And if you're following in your notes, we'll see the incentives that his voice offers us. So I'm going to enter into the first incentive in verses 1 to 6. I'll read the first five verses, and then if you would, in the first gray box, read verse 6 out loud with me. I'll start. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. Please read with me verse 6. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. In this psalm, we'll take a progressive journey. We start at the base of the mountain. We're headed all the way to the peak. It's a progression. Verses 1 to 6 provide us with that first leg of the journey. It's the first incentive for listening to him. The appeal includes declarations, a voice, proclamations, words. But the irony is there actually are no words. There is no literal voice. We, quote unquote, hear from God when we look at the sky. We hear from God when we enjoy the circuit of the sun. You know, the sun can blow us away even today as a modern audience. Just in central Illinois, man, I was in Spain for for 11 years, and the sun was shining 90% of the time. We have four-week stretches in the winter here in central Illinois. When the sun comes out, it is glorious. It's like I hear the Alleluia Chorus come. (laughs) Kind of like this morning, right? We could use the sun. The sun captivated the ancient audience's attention as well. Actually, they took it to the extreme that they viewed many of David's contemporaries David is the author of this psalm, viewed the sun as a god. The sun still shapes the way that we view beauty itself. I used to watch um, Bob Ross videos when I was a kid, and he always talked about the placement of the sun and the light and utilizing that light for beauty. David describes the sun. You can actually see a Bob Ross uh, painting right there. How about that? David describes the sun's circuit with a wedding metaphor. So in the ancient times, weddings were huge. At the climax of the wedding ceremony, the the bridegroom threw open the doors of the chamber to boisterous or thunderous applause. The tone that they were going for isn't that unlike what we have in our weddings today when we pull out the sparklers or we throw the flower petals or whatever it is we do to send the couple out happily on their honeymoon. This is the tone. This is the feel It's one of warmth. I remember seven years ago, uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And so we flew from Spain all the way to get to Missouri to be with my folks. And it was a hard time. We were dealing with a lot of different emotions. And there was an evening when we were with my parents that I just needed to be alone with the Lord. So I climbed up on the roof of my parents' country home. And I looked out at the horizon And you know how sometimes when the sun is setting and there's the light reflecting off of the clouds and there's the reddish hue? It was one of those moments. It was like God's warmth was shining on me. I was experiencing his presence in a powerful way in that moment. I said, you know what? I'm coming back for the evening. And I came out and I looked up at the stars in the sky, galaxies, billions of galaxies and stars 
beyond what I could count. And God was whispering to me, Chad, I've got this. I've got your mom. I've got you. I've got your dad. I've got your family. He speaks with us with a warm tone. If you're following along in your notes, we cannot emphasize enough the importance of God's warmth. So much, so many of us attach an angry or an accusatory tone to God in his even thinking about his invitation to listen to him. We don't hear, hey, chat, are you listening to me? We hear, are you listening to me? But that's not the tone. It's not vindictive, it's warm and inviting. I, uh, so much of the tone that we actually affix to God when he's speaking to us has to do with our childhood of origin, perhaps some interactions we had with adults as kids. I have a memory that when um, I was in the sixth grade, my grandfather was, his health was failing from congestive heart failure. So we climbed in the van and we drove up to Wisconsin. It's probably going to be the last time that we would see my grandfather. I'm a sixth grade kid. I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on. The time is coming to a conclusion. My dad's like, hey, we're getting in the van. We're going home. I haven't even spoken with my grandfather. So I slide past my parents and I tiptoe into my grandfather's bedroom. He's asleep. And I look him straight in the face, wake him up and say, Grandpa, I forgot to say goodbye. I love you. My grandfather had a huge smile on his face and his deep baritone voice. I love you too, my boy. I hope you hear that tone in God's invitation to listen to his voice. It's the invitation of a grandfather's loving voice. If you're following, God speaks to you against the backdrop of his warmth. He says, are you listening to me? I love you, my boy. I love you, my girl. The first phase of God's appeal, first incentive for us listening to his voice is his warmth. The incentives increase. Again, there's, there's an exponential growth in this psalm. It starts, it starts small and gets greater. We're going to read uh, verses 7 to 10. Why don't you read verse 7 with me in the second gray box, and then I'll finish it out. Read with me. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. I'll continue. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. So Hebrew poetry builds itself on parallel statements. We could get into the weeds on this. We won't do it. Essentially, he's combining multiple statements to say one thing comprehensively. Each statement here describes the word of God and then gives results if we press into it. In verses seven to 10, the point, the main essence of David's argument is this. God's word delivers massive benefits. If you're following in your notes, the second incentive for listening to God's voice, God's word delivers massive benefits. David uses six words to describe the word of God, the written scripture. He says, law, statutes, precepts, commands, fear of the Lord, and decrees. It's very comprehensive. They all have their own nuance. 
Essentially, what we need to know is it's a comprehensive picture to say the complete and full written word of God. Don't think Moses coming down Mount Sinai with two tablets and a few sentences. Think a big scroll with the complete inspired written word of God. It's the 66 books of the Bible that we hold in our hand when we hold the scriptures. So what makes God's revelation so special for David? He gives six descriptors. I love these. Perfect. Trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, true, firm, excuse me. In most contexts, adjectives like these would seem a little bit overkill. He's overselling, right? I mean, can a book really be perfect? We'll just stop with that adjective for a second. Perfect? Well, it depends on the book's author, and it depends upon who is giving the recommendation. So I work pretty closely with Pastor Jeff, and sometimes he'll pop in my office, very welcome to do so, and he'll, he'll give, let's just imagine that he gives a recommendation for a book. Now, I'm probably going to put that on the top of my reading list. Why? Well, because I trust Jeff. I value his opinion. Let's say I pop on Amazon and I start to see that some of the author of this book is one of the most respected Christian thinkers on planet Earth, and I love the guy. Then I read about some of the commentaries and all the Christian thinkers that I value and respect are raving about this book. I'm actually going to buy that book right now and read it on Kindle in the evening when I get home. David is the second most famous king in the history, arguably in the history of humanity behind Jesus. And he is giving a recommendation for a book that he says is perfect. The author of that book is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. That's a big-time recommendation, and that is a big-time author. David, by the Spirit, writes a blurb on the dust jacket of the Bible, if you're following along in your notes, and says, God's word is trustworthy. You can go to the bank on it. In my office, there are multiple DVD sets that we have studied or done as a church over the last couple of decades. Some of the authors are no longer around. In fact, one of the DVD sets I looked up the other day, and I noticed that that particular author has fallen away from the faith. And I said to myself, in my typical cynical fashion, when this kind of thing happens, who can we trust anyway? Well, I wonder who the, the next big celeb, Christian celebrity is, that's going to fall. Christian leaders fall. It's true. They do. They will let you down. God's word will never falter. It will always be perfect. It will always be trustworthy. It will always be right. Always be true. Pure. Firm. Do we believe this? I, I wish I could say that the universal church in the West really believed this. I, I listened to a John Mark Comer sermon the other day, and he said that on average, um, a Western professing Christian takes in about 3,000 hours of media a year. So 3,000 hours, what does he mean by media? It's simply um, reading materials, audio, video, news, YouTube. And on, out, on average, of the 3,000 hours that we take in, 150 of those hours come from Christian sources. 
Barna research indicates that of those 150 hours, approximately 20 to 25 of them are spent in reading God's word or listening to God's word. Some take the lion's share of that to kind of skew the average. There are better readers than others. More than half of the American evangelical audience will not crack open their Bible if nothing changes in 2024. Yet we're starved for the Bible. We are so thirsty. We're parched for the descriptions that we see in verses 7 to 10. With information overload, I don't know what to think about all this with AI technology. Sometimes I wonder if I'm reading a website that actually came from a human being or it was an AI device. How can we trust websites anymore? With politicians selling out and news stations selling out to elitists and the radically wealthy, how can we trust the news station anymore? With incessant greed all around us, how do we know that that salesperson isn't just trying to to deceive us? Those are rhetorical questions. The answer is we don't know. We do know that God's word opened before us is his breath of fresh air. It's his words that are true, trustworthy, and right. So we've seen descriptions. Now we're going to see some of the results. Look back at verses 7 to 10. We see results. These are amazing. God's word is refreshing. It makes us wise. It gives us joy. It lights our eyes. It endures forever. In short, exposure to God's word is going to brighten your outlook in 2024. Some of us have had a rough 2023. And stepping into 2024, if we want to have a brighter outlook on life, stepping into God's word will be the first step towards that. By contrast, 3,000 hours is taking its toll. I make breakfast in the morning for our family. I had this terrible habit for, for quite some time. I would take bacon and put it in the frying pan, fry it up, and then I'd leave the bacon grease to fry the eggs in it. Man, it's so good. My cholesterol hated it. Now my doctor wants me to fry egg whites in olive oil. That's what I get to eat for breakfast. Um, But 3,000 hours of secular media exposure is clogging our spiritual arteries. God wants to bring health, vibrancy, brighten our lives with his word. I particularly love the line in verse 8. Don't you love that line that God's word gives light to our eyes? If you're following in your notes, God's word gives light to our eyes. Have you ever had an experience where something happened or an individual brought light to your eyes? So I used to work at a gymnasium in gym in Chicago, and some of the teams that would play the Chicago Bulls would roll into town, and I'd open the door for them. And usually they came in with cell phones plastered to their ears. We're so important. Don't look at us. Don't talk to us. No. They, I get it. They're hounded by fans all of the time. It's really difficult. Uh, but on one occasion, I'm folding a towel in the gym. And I look up. And I look up. And it's Scottie Pippen. Now, I'm a huge Chicago Bulls fan. I followed him. He was playing for the Trailblazers at the time. But he said something along the lines of, Hey, how are you doing? What do you do here? And I said, my name is Chad. (laughs) 
And that's about how the conversation went. But Scotty Pippen was trying to have a conversation with me. He wanted to shoot the breeze with me. I called my mom after the conversation was over. Scotty Pippen and I are friends. Uh, I eat, no, I don't have his number yet, but I think it's coming. I'm holding a towel with Scotty Pippen sweat. Now, he lit up my eyes. He lit up my eyes. If Scotty Pippen can light up the eyes of a 20-something in a 40-second conversation, imagine what the triune God of the universe can do to our hearts in 15 minutes. He can set our hearts on fire. Not just brighten our outlook, set our hearts on fire. In the pages of scripture, God desires to do far more than shoot the breeze. Sometimes, you know, my wife uh, asked me, are you listening? And I'm not. God is asking us, are you listening? And it's because he has great incentives for us to listen. First, we experience warmth and fellowship with him. A second incentive for listening to his voice is that he provides us with massive benefits. Let's continue on and hear more. Again, there's a progression in this text we're going to encounter in verses 11 to 14. If you're following in your notes, they envision God's voice forming God's character in us. I'm going to read 11 to 14. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. These verses highlight the godliness that God desires to form in us. If you're following in your notes, God's character is formed in us in examining prayer. More than anything in verses 11 to 13, David is praying for a blameless heart. He's doing it through an examination of willful sin, unwillful sin. He's praying for blamelessness. It's almost like he's inviting God into a back and forth conversation. Really, what this makes me think of is a spiritual practice called the daily examine. I've been doing it this year. I found it really helpful. What it consists of is you sit in a quiet place in an evening after a day, and you invite the Holy Spirit to look with you at the preceding events of the day, and you ask yourself the question, where was willful sin? Where was sin that I didn't even see that I need to confess to grow in fellowship with you, Lord, to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in godliness? The objective is what we see in verse 14. It's, it's for God's voice to so permeate my mind and heart that my instinctual reactions... The thoughts that I have, the words that I speak are pleasing in God's sight. It's godliness formed in us. So we see um, if we listen to God, we get warmth of relationship, benefits, godliness, and then we encounter a fourth incentive in verse 14. Verse 14 gives us a window into an even and greater incentive for listening to God. The voice becomes intimate, personal, and relational. Look at verse 14 again. Do you notice how David says the following phrase? My rock, my redeemer, my rock, my redeemer. Do you remember how I said that there's a progression? We start at the base of the mountain. Now we've gotten to the peak, to the pinnacle. And it's in a relationship with God himself as redeemer. 
What did it mean for David to call God his redeemer? As an Israelite king, David stood in a long line of solidarity with his people, the Israelites. And the Israelites were bound in slavery for hundreds of years. They cried out to the Lord in their slavery to rescue them. And God came to the rescue. How did he come to the rescue? He sent Moses. He sent 10 plagues. And at the climax of it all, he sent a 10th plague which was to kill with the angel of death the firstborn in the nation of Israel. God protected those who took advantage of a blood sacrifice. He said, take up spotless lambs, sacrifice it, take the blood, put it on the doorposts. And if you do that by grace through faith, you will be redeemed. You will be rescued from death through the blood. For us today, God has intervened as our Redeemer once again through another more perfect blood sacrifice. Do you know that Jesus Christ came knowing that his mission was to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? The Gospel of John says that very clearly as we've just seen. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The new Passover sacrifice to save us from sin death, and evil. He even said about himself in Mark chapter 10, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, to rescue, to save you from all that's hurting you, sin, death, and evil. Do you need God to rescue you? To the point where you can say like King David said, my redeemer. Sin and evil are all around us. It threw It chews us up. It spits us out. It is brutal. How do we make God's redemption our own redemption? Let's look at verse 14 again. There's two words and they have two letters and they're crucial. My rock, my redeemer. David had a deep-seated sense that he was God's and God was his personal relationship. We too can receive Jesus in such a way that we say from a heart of allegiance, I don't just know these facts. You are my redeemer. I receive you by faith. I give you my allegiance. I trust that your sacrifice on my behalf takes care of sin, takes care of death, and takes care of evil. I give you, Jesus, my allegiance. When we do that with a heart of faith, Turning from sin and turning to Jesus, we've made it to the mountaintop. So, you remember I've said that there's a progression in in terms of incentives in this psalm? The psalm starts at the base of the mountain. Now it takes you to the peak. And Jesus offers himself in relationship to you. As your redeemer, will you receive him by faith? Receive him. Ultimately, that's where God is taking us. That's where scripture takes us. Psalm 19 transports us to Jesus, our personal redeemer. You might be tracking with me more or less to this point about the incentives for hearing God's voice. We all know that it's easier said than done. I actually think that there are all kinds of spiritual landmines all around us meant to blow up our best intentions to listen to God's voice, particularly reading God's word. This is the chief way that we encounter his voice. So I want to talk through a few um, applications in relationship to opening up God's word. James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, 
offers a compelling assessment of why Americans just generally do a terrible job with habits, forming habits in our lives. You know, we're all, we all want to eat healthier, and we don't. We all want to exercise, and often we don't. And American evangelicals, we want to read God's word, and many times it's really hard to start that habit. So what James Clear says, if you're following along in your notes, he argues that we have downplayed the power of small, granular steps towards the habits that we, we most want. He uses the simple example of putting a yoga mat in your living room that doesn't match any of the decor. It's kind of disgusting to even look at it, but you put it there. It's a simple, small, granular step. And guess what? When you have to look at it, stare it in the face, you're far more likely to exercise. In Psalm 19, God reminds us that he desires for our spiritual fitness. But how can we take um, practical steps towards more Bible intake to experiencing all these incentives that God has just laid out before us? I believe it starts with small, even granular steps toward the direction of a habit. So I'll just give you some examples. My wife, she leaves uh, her Bible open in the kitchen. And she's busy doing lots of different things, dealing with kids, dealing with some food. And she'll turn when she has a moment and just read three or four verses. And then she'll get back to what she's doing. It's a small, granular step, but it's moving in the direction of a habit. I even find myself gravitating to Julie's uh, Bible. Occasionally, I put a mark on a verse I really feel she needs to work on. And then... (laughs) No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, but, but it's a small, granular step. Audio Bible apps abound. They do. Uh, I just spoke with someone, actually, who told me they listen to the whole Bible in three months because they have a longer commute. In three months, they just decided, on my way to work, on my way home from work, I'm listening to the Bible. They got through the whole Bible in three months. Maybe your commute is smaller, but you could get through it in a year, in a year and a half. I personally enjoy reading plans. I've done a few. Bible Project has a fantastic plan. Recently, the step that I've taken is that as I'm reading God's word, I invite the Holy Spirit to stop me right where I need to be in the text. Sometimes I get through a little bit more material. Other times I get through two sentences and the Spirit of God says, you need to focus on this. You need to meditate on it. You need to listen to my voice right here, right now. It's a step. It's not just reading for reading's sake. It's listening in personal relationship to grow in godliness. But it's a small, granular step. If you're newer to the faith, I would encourage you to think about just taking one chapter of a gospel each day. If you read one chapter of a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, at the beginning of the New Testament... One chapter each day through the year, you'll read all four gospels four times. I'd also love to invite you to my scripture class at the end of January in Institute. It's really just a great excuse to dive deep in God's word and find ourselves all the way on the mountain mountain peak with Jesus Christ, our redeemer. So it's a formal excuse to sign up for a class to go deep. You may opt for another plan that I haven't even described here, a reading plan, audio plan. The point is, what's the one small, even granular step that you can take towards a habit that offers you so many incentives? We've just seen four of them. 
So at the beginning of the message, I mentioned how uh, my wife and I need to collaborate at the end of the day with the list of things that we need to do. I'm going to imagine a different scenario for you right now. Let's say I get home at the end of the day, I'm tired, and Julie has spent three weeks preparing a surprise date. She's gotten babysitters for the four kids. She's made a prime rib dinner, tablecloth set, candles, jazz music. She looks beautiful. She's cleared our calendars. There's three hours, just my wife and me, my best friend. And I say to her, you know, honey, I'm beat. I think I'm gonna grab some potato chips and go play a video game. But thank you for the idea. What? Three hours with my best friend. No kids for three hours with my best friend. And I'm going to trade that for potato chips and a video game? God has laid a feast. In Psalm 19, he's using metaphors. Another metaphor we could use is he's laid a feast before us. Listen to my voice. Here are the incentives. I would just encourage you this year, sit down at the table. If you're following along in your notes, here's a question I'd love to leave you with in 2024. What steps can I take to feast on God's word in 2024? Join him at the table. Join him at the table. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.